Well, good morning. Great to see you today. So glad that you're here. Also want to thank Pastor Keith for a powerful word last week, wasn't it? On the power of our words. Thanks, PK, uh, for sharing with us. Have you ever had to have um, like an awkward conversation? Like one of those, I had to have one about a week and a half ago or so, where you're just kind of talking with somebody and just like, hey, can I, um, can, we, can we talk about something? Because you look for the right time, don't you? Like you look for the, the right moment, the right setting. You don't want to embarrass them, so you kind of want to make sure you catch them in a moment. And, and uh, you just, you know, it's like it's, sometimes I'm like, ah, I get, this, is, this is a little bit awkward, but, but can, we, can we just talk about this for a minute? And you have to have that awkward conversation. And, and sometimes you have these talks, and they're not your everyday run-of-the-mill conversations, but they're important. They might not be everyday stuff, but they usually happen around milestones and the reality is when you have those conversations, it often changes the relationship. And if you don't have those conversations, it has incredible impact later down the road. It's the kind of conversation when a parent has to talk to their child about the birds and the bees. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? It's those conversations when a dating couple has to have a conversation about the status, future of the relationship. It's when friends have to work out a misunderstanding. It's when a family has to decide things about, do we move? Do we buy that house? Do we change that job? Is it time for retirement? It's those major financial decisions. It's when the doctor says, hey, we have to come up with a plan because of this diagnosis. It's a crucial conversation that sometimes families have to have to say, look, these, these are my wishes and my plans with regards to my death. Like These aren't flippant, run-of-the-mill conversations. There's times when it's so important and meaningful and impactful for us to have what may be a difficult conversation to have. These next six weeks, we're, we're going to do a series of messages that we're calling Let's Talk About dot, dot, dot. And we're going to talk about some really important subjects these next few weeks, not the things that you might talk about every day. In fact, a lot of these things are things that oftentimes we just kind of push aside. We've taken them out of our daily conversation, but they're critical things for us to talk about. And we're going to start with a very basic one today. We're going to start kind of real general today. And then each week, we're going to work kind of more specifically on some different topics. But the one that we're going to start with today in just a very general way is this. What does it even mean to be a Christian? Like when you say, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to assume that, that many of you, in fact, maybe most of you in this room or those that are hearing this message, whether you're in Auditorium 2 or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, many of you would say, well, yeah, I consider myself to be a Christian, but what does that mean? I'm not just talking about the salvation side of things. You will often hear us refer to the decision that we make to make Jesus our Savior and Lord in our lives because we talk about it a lot because we believe that choosing Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord is the most important decision you can ever make. Amen? Why do you say that, Chad? Because when you, when you say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior, you're saying to him, I need you to forgive my sins because I realize that forgiveness only comes from you. And when you say, Jesus, I, I ask you to be my Lord, what you're saying is, Jesus, I give you control of my life, my purpose, my direction, my decisions are because you are the one who gives guidance and direction to my life. It's the most important decisions that you can ever make. But that's not what I'm talking about today when I talk about what does it even mean to be a Christian. What I mean is this. We live in a world and culture that is at a very critical time, I think, especially 
in the world in which we live in this year, in this country, in this time. It's different than other times. Have you noticed that? Like in so many ways, people's perspective about God, what people think when they hear the word Christian, the way that our culture deals with the truths of Scripture, and the way that we make decisions with regards to cultural issues are different today than it's ever been in my lifetime. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What we're going to see is that the Bible tells us that Christians are to be different from the world around them. You are to be different if you're a Christian. Now, please notice, I said you are to be different. I did not say you are to be weird, okay? Is that all right? Look, because sometimes, and maybe you've known some of these folks, like sometimes people think of Christians, they don't think of different, they think of weird. I went to high school with a weird Christian. That may sound judgmental, but how many of you have known a weird Christian? Come on, how many of you have known a weird Christian? How many of you can spot one in this room right now? Right, you know, and I, can remember, I went to high school with a weird Christian. And I remember when I would tell people, they'd say, you know, we'd have a conversation, I'd say something about being a Christian. They'd say to me, oh, a Christian, just like her, you're weird. And I said, she's not weird because she's a Christian. She's weird because she's weird, right? That was it. But we confuse this sometimes. I'm not sorry about that. You've thought it too, though. Don't tell me you haven't. But you've seen the weird Christians. Oftentimes, people who have isolated others because of the way that they've lived their life over and above their faith. Oftentimes, people have been judged by Christians in a hurtful way. And so sometimes people go, I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are weird. And then what we do sometimes is we go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not weird. And because we love people, we swing the pendulum so far the other way from judgment all the way over to this, this irresponsible love because we want people to know us in a certain way or appreciate us or respect us to the point that then sometimes we ignore the truth. And for some of us, we have a love for God and a commitment to the church. We may even believe what the Bible says. But in our everyday lives, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. And you're, you're strolling through life. You're, you're in church maybe every Sunday. And if people asked, are you a Christian? You'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. If somebody said, what's your faith? What's your religion? You'd say, well, I'm a Christian. But does it make any difference in your day-to-day life? Here's the reality. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 is the longest recorded sermon that we have in the Bible. It's the, the, the longest recorded chunk of teaching that we have from Jesus. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He was on what we believe probably to be the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching hundreds, if not thousands of people. And the whole point of this message is he wants them to know, if you are my follower, you will be different than you used to be. And the way that you used to do things, the way that the culture does things will be different. He starts out with the Beatitudes. We we took several weeks and studied this several years ago in a a series of messages called Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. We talked about these Beatitudes. And through these whole three chapters, what Jesus says is the way that you used to view things, if you follow me, you don't view those things the same way anymore. He talks about everything from marriage and divorce to how you deal with your enemies to how you handle worry in your life. He talks about your religious practices and he talks about your relationships. And what he says is this, you will do things different if you follow me. If you have to sum up his whole teaching in just a few verses, he does it starting with verse 13. Look at what he says, Matthew chapter five, verse 13. He says, you are the salt 
of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, as he's teaching this to the people in his time, he gives them these analogies. He gives them these object lessons, if you will, to help them understand what he's saying. And he says to them, you are to be the salt of the earth. You are to be the light of the world. Years later, a Roman historian by the name of Pliny would make a comment, not connected to Jesus' teachings at all, but he would say that there is nothing more useful than salt and sunshine. Some of the most important things in life, if you're going to exist, if you're going to live, he says, salt and sunshine. Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth. You are to be the light of the world. I want to take those metaphors today, and I want to show you what Jesus means and why it's so important to how we live our lives as Christians. For some of us, this is important for us to talk about because we've just kind of been on cruise control in our faith, and maybe today God's going to shake you up a little bit and cause you to think a little bit differently about your role as a Christian. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Number one, Jesus said his followers bring life to a world of brokenness. Jesus said his followers bring life to a world of brokenness. Now, you won't see those words life and brokenness in this verse 13. But as we talk about it, I think it'll show you that's what he means by salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This substance that we take for granted, this kind of cheap seasoning that we don't give a whole lot of thought to has incredible value according to what Jesus said. In our day and time, we, we kind of disregard it. How many of you like to put a little salt on your food? Anybody? How many of you like too much salt on your food? Anybody had the doctor say that's too much salt on your food? Right? Here's the thing, though. We don't think a whole lot about it. We just grab it and we shake it. We just buy it. It's not hard for us to get. And oftentimes, if there's a little that's kind of on the table... Maybe not at your house, maybe in a restaurant or when you're at somebody else's house. If there's too much there, you ever just do this like that? Come on, how many, have you done it? Yes, you've done it. I know you. Because we don't give a whole lot of thought to it. But when Jesus said, you are the salt, man, they thought of it in a different way. See, in that day and time in the Roman Empire, there were whole highways that were constructed just because of the salt trade because they had to move the salt from one place to another. It was so valuable and had so many uses and was so limited in its availability that there was even a time in the Roman Empire when people would be paid the currency was salt because you could trade it, you could use it. It had incredible value. So Roman soldiers, when they received their wages, they would oftentimes be paid in salt, which is where the phrase comes from. You ever heard somebody say, ah, they're not worth their weight in salt? He's not worth his salt. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's where it comes from, because Roman soldiers were paid in that way. So Jesus gives us this very clear analogy. He says, you are something of great value. He says, you are something that has great impact. You are something of great influence. You are the salt of the earth. 
How are we going to understand this? It might help if I ask you two questions about salt and you. Here's the first one. Are you salty? Here's my first question. <laughs> are you salty? And some of you have used that term salty. It's, it's kind of become an interesting phrase in slang where you might say, oh, they're salty, or I'm feeling salty today. You ever heard that? Here's what it means when someone is angry, agitated, upset, mean, annoying, or even repulsive. In our cultural slang, we would look at them and say, well, they're salty, right? We would think of it that way. It's not how Jesus is using it. When Jesus is using it, when he talks about the salt losing its saltiness, when he says you're the salt of the earth, he's not talking about slang in the 2000s. He's talking about the uses of salt since antiquity. Here's one thing we know, salt seasons. Salt was used and had so much value because people would use it on their food in those days like they do today. In fact, it's not just for seasoning. It's important because your diet requires it. All of us to be healthy, there is this desire in our body, this, this, this yearning for sodium chloride. That's why animals need salt. That's why salt is an important part in some ways in moderation in our diets. But even beyond that, we put it on our food, do we not? There's some things I don't even like to eat without salt. Can I get an amen? God made French fries to be a vehicle for salt, right? Three people just walked out. They're on their way to lunch. Why? Because we, we love the taste. There's a seasoning that it brings. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. There's a seasoning that you bring. If french fries are better with salt, your world should be better because you're the salt of the earth. How do you do that, Chad? Well, Paul talks about this, Galatians chapter five. He says that if you're a follower of Jesus, and then there's certain things that should come out of you. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 talk about these things that should naturally come out of our lives. And if these things are coming out of our lives as a believer, will it make our homes better? Will it make our workplace better? Will it make our neighborhoods better? Will it make our church better? Yes, because we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to have, and don't forget this word because you're gonna hear it over and over again as we talk about salt and light. You are to have influence. You're not to be passive. You're not to be unrecognizable. Your life should make a difference. I know when something is salty, because it makes a difference. It seasons. Your life is the salt of the earth. We have to ask questions about our responses. In moments of crisis or tragedy, in times when we interact with others, when there's tension, or when we have the opportunity to speak words of life to someone, do we recognize that in those moments, God has called us to be the salt of the earth because salt seasons. And then let's take it one more step. Salt not only seasons, but salt's primary use in ancient times was as a preservative. Salt preserves. There wasn't refrigeration back then. So if you wanted your meat or your fish to last longer, you would rub salt into it because it would cause it to, to cure. It would be something that would be helpful. It's interesting. One of the things that the northern armies did during the Civil War was to go to the south and destroy the places where there was salt being manufactured and distributed because if there was no salt, then that would limit the food supply. No one wants to fight without bacon. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? 
See, salt's that critical. It's that powerful of a preservative. Salt preserves. And Jesus says, in a world that is slowly decaying, you, salt of the earth, are called to be a preservative. In a world full of brokenness, I mean, just push the pause button for a minute and think about your own world, P- people in your orbit, like people that you interact with, school, work, family. It's probably not gonna take you too long to think of broken people. And in a world of brokenness, in a world where there is pain and hurt and decay, you, light of the world, have been called to be a preservative, called to be someone who brings life to brokenness. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Isn't, isn't it interesting that even though we're doing the right things, people may sometimes accuse us of being someone who's doing something wrong. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why that is? You ever gotten salt in a wound? Sometimes salt stings, but it's still a preservative. And he says, live such good lives that people can't help but see that you are a seasoning, you are preserving, you are bringing life, you have influence. Look, the reason that we're stressing this before we go into all these other conversations we're gonna have the next few weeks is because you have to start here. If you don't recognize that God has called you to be someone who has influence, who makes the world better, who brings life to the people around you, for some of you, your Christianity has been on cruise control. For some of you, you've just made it a Sunday thing. For some of us, it's so easy for us to check out and forget that we are supposed to be different than the world around us. What I'm hoping for is for some of you to have a light bulb moment and say, I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> I can do this better. There's another way to live my life. I was, I was looking at the news this week and this article caught my mind, caught my, caught my attention. It, it said how to eat an apple. That was the headline. <laughs> I know how to eat an apple. I've been doing it for over 40 years. What's this about? So I clicked on the headline, and here's what they found out. They're saying, if you've been eating an apple, like where you hold it in your hand and then you start biting the side, you know what I'm talking about? Just, and you turn, you turn it. That sounded terrible. Sorry about that. That was going in. Not, okay, so um, if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. The way you're supposed to eat an apple is you're supposed to start at the bottom and work your way up, eating it core and all. Yeah. Some of you, you'd like the french fries analogy a whole lot better, don't you? You're supposed to eat the apple core and all. Here's the reason why. Because they say the most beneficial part of the apple for you is the seeds. Because the seeds contain this beneficial bacteria that when you eat the seeds, it's got like 100 times more benefit to your body than what just eating the rest of the apple does. So you've been eating it wrong and you need to eat the apple core and all, including the seeds. I said, that's interesting, not gonna change. Anybody else? I don't care if I am doing it wrong. I'm not doing that. But for some of you, there's a moment where you go, I'm supposed to be the salt of the earth? You mean I've been doing it wrong? You mean I've I've failed to realize the influence I'm supposed to have on the world around me? You have to make a decision. You're gonna do it or you're not? Are you gonna live your life in the way that Jesus said? My question for you is, are you salty? 
Which leads to a second question maybe on the same subject, have you lost your saltiness? Like maybe, maybe the better question is not are you salty, maybe the better question is have you lost your saltiness? There's a lot of debate, actually, if you read commentaries on this passage of Scripture about what Jesus means when he says this. He says, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, can it be made salty again? Interesting question. And they debate what does that mean. A lot of scholars believe that Jesus is referring to the fact that salt in that day and time, one of the major places that it was harvested from was the Dead Sea, sometimes referred to as the Salt Sea, kind of in the desert of Israel today, south and east of Jerusalem is, is the Dead Sea. It's an incredible place to go, and you, you may have seen pictures of people. The, the saline content, the salinity of the water is over 30%, so when you get in that body of water, you literally float. It's like this crazy thing. So they would harvest salt through evaporation right out of the Dead Sea. But here's what would happen. In certain pockets where they would harvest the salt, sometimes you wouldn't just get salt, but you would also get gypsum. If you're thinking of gypsum, that's what what drywall or wallboard is made out of. You know what I'm talking about? It's got a very chalky-like substance. So at some point when it all gets dried out and you get your salt and then it comes to you and you find out that you don't just have salt, but you also have chalk with it, what value is that? You're going to be disappointed when you shake that on your french fries, aren't you? Because you don't want that. If the salt has lost its saltiness, well, you say, how did it lose its saltiness? Some people believe it lost its saltiness because impurity came into it. It wasn't pure anymore. There were other things that mingled with it that caused it to lose its purity, that caused it to lose its value. So you don't want salt and gypsum to the point that it wasn't even good to throw on your garden or throw out in your yard because it would kill what was there. They said, what you need to do with it if you get that is you throw it out on the street and then it'll just get trampled on. It has no other value because of its impurity. It lost its saltiness. So Jesus raises the question, have you lost your saltiness? How does that happen? Impure salt loses its saltiness. When I allow certain things to come into my life that have a sense of impurity, that affect me in a negative way, that cause me to have this detrimental activity going on in my life, impurity causes me to lose my saltiness. When James wrote his epistle in the New Testament, he, he said this, but in a much more confrontational way. He says this, James chapter four, verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The lesson, the more we as Christians allow ourselves to take on impure elements in our lives, the more we lose our ability to bring life to the world around us. Think of that for a minute. The more impurity you allow to come into your life, the less life you are able to bring to your family and to your friends and to the world around you if your salt loses its saltiness. See, impure salt loses its saltiness. And what does Jesus go on to say? He says impure salt loses its value. He says it's thrown out. It's good for nothing. So maybe we need to step back and say, what are we putting into our lives that is causing me to limit my ability to be the salt of the earth? read about a mom who decided to get a birthday cake for her little two-year-old daughter. 
It was really kind of cute. She, she went to, she lives in Missouri. She went to a Walmart and went to the bakery and said, hey, I need to order a cake for my daughter's birthday. She's going to be two. And they said, well, what would you like it to say? Well, when they found out that they were having a little girl while she was still in her mom's tummy, they decided to name her Elizabeth. And somehow she got a nickname. Even before she was born, they just started calling her Lizard. So her nickname has always been Lizard. Some of you are grossed out by that, but I think it's kind of sweet. And so she says, you know what I want on this birthday cake? On this birthday cake, I want you to put happy birthday lizard. So the employee just wrote it down. All right, cool, whatever, you know, come back. And so she comes back in a couple days. She's in a hurry. She grabs the cake, doesn't bother to look at it, gets home, gets it ready to go. They're all ready for the party. She opens the box, and instead of saying happy birthday lizard, it says happy birthday loser. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? It's terrible. The kid's two and can't read. So she won't be damaged for life. But Walmart gave them a new cake, fortunately. Now the new cake reads, happy birthday, Elizabeth. They didn't even risk it. <laughs> didn't wreck the cake. But what would wreck the cake? Not, not a wrong name on there. But you use sour milk to make that cake? How are you feeling about it? You use rotten eggs in that cake? How are you feeling about it? Some of the flour fell on the floor, but we swept it up and put it back in the cake. It's fine. How are you feeling about it? You're not going to eat that cake. You're all right with happy birthday, loser. <laughs> but you're not going to eat that cake with the impurity in it. Because impurity, when it gets all mixed in there, it's all mixed in there. You won't even notice those little flakes of dust. You'll only be sick for a few hours. You're fine. You say, no thanks. Because impurity causes something to lose its value. And Jesus says, if the salt has lost its saltiness, he says, friends, I want you to think about your thoughts. I want you to consider what your influences are. What do you laugh at? What do you sing to? What do you fill your mind with? Those things, be careful because when impurity comes in, it can take away your value, salt of the earth. So Jesus, who's a master storyteller and communicator, says to the, the folks at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then in verse 14, he takes it even one more step to help them understand this. Look at this. That Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Second thing I want you to see about our faith, our, our, our truth as Christians, Jesus said his followers bring light to a world in darkness. Not only did he say we bring life to a world of brokenness, but that we bring light to a world in darkness. I, I love his analogy. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. I've heard that passage of scripture my whole life. About three years ago, for the first time, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and while I was there, we took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and we went out right at like, like sundown, and while we were out there, it got very dark out there on the water. It was kind of an eerie experience, to be honest. And it's very cool, and you're out there, and as the boat turned and started to go back towards the shore where we had taken off, it was, it was very dark out there. Much of the coastline did not have a lot of illumination, but as you're going back to the city of Tiberias, you can't help but see that this major city that's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee is right there. It's not trying to show off, but once everybody turns on their lights, you can't help but see it. You know why? Because a city that's on a hill cannot be hidden. 
But we believe that Jesus probably teached this sermon, teached. Is that a word? I think Jesus teached this on um, the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And to the southeast, as people sat there, they would have seen the, the town of Hippus, which was up on a hill. And Hippus wasn't trying to show off, but at night when they lit their torches and their lamps, you couldn't help but across the water see the city that's there because a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. I'm not asking you to show off. I'm just asking you to live a life the way that Jesus would have you live, and then you will be the light of the world. And the light of the world cannot be hidden. So here's my question for you. Are you hiding your light? Because Jesus says that multiple times. He says, look, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says this. He says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it. He says, you, you light the lamp and the lamp gives light to everyone in the house. Now, when we think of a lamp, we think of it kind of in a certain way. We think of a lamp that you just kind of turn on or you flip a switch. Or now you can just say to your smart device, hey, turn on this light. The lamp that they would have had in ancient times that Jesus is talking about was actually just this little clay lamp and it would have had a hole that you pour the oil in and then it would have had a wick that would have come out the, the, the front part of it there and you would light that wick. And many of their homes were these homes that at that time didn't have a whole lot of windows, maybe none at all. And when you would light that in the dark, what would happen is as you would light that, it would give light to that whole room. Light has power, especially in the darkness. And Jesus says, if you have a light like this, what happens is where there's darkness, that light brings light to that whole place. So he says, it doesn't make any sense. No one lights a light and then afterward takes, he talks about a container that they would use, a, a, a form of measurement. He talks a very specific size of a container. He says, no one takes a light and then puts a container over it and hides that light. It doesn't make any sense. If you're the light of the world, you would never hide it. That's why I ask the question, if you're the light of the world, are you hiding your light? The reality is hidden light does no good. <laughs> Jesus points this out. He says, look, you're, you're supposed to shine. And so if you're supposed to shine, why would you hide your light? A hidden light does no good. Look, I'm not talking about an annoying light. Have you ever had somebody shine a light in your face? I've got this, this little mag light here, and I'm going to like shine it over here to the side so you can kind of see a little bit, but I don't want to shine it in your eyes because I like, yeah, I like most of you. So I'm going to shine it over here. It's a joke. It's a joke. You were falling asleep. It's a joke. Right? I'm going to shine it over here because if I shine this right in your eyes, you know what you're going to see? Spots. You know how I know? I tried it earlier today. I'm not the brightest guy. <laughs> Did you get that? Because if I shine this right in your face, you're going to be irritated and annoyed. I've known some Christians who have shined their light in such a way that it's irritating and annoying and cause you to not be able to see right afterwards. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about being irritating. I'm talking about being the light of the world. That naturally what happens in your light, in your life, shows God to other people. But hidden light does no good. I ask myself, why do we hide our lights? Like, what causes us to do it? Sometimes it's fear. Oftentimes it's peer pressure. We, we don't live out our faith because we're afraid of what someone might say. We laugh at that joke so we don't get left out. We say those words so that we fit in. We want to chase after what culture says is the cool thing in the moment. 
only to find out that it leaves us empty and dissatisfied, maybe even with a sense of guilt and concern. Like we have to ask ourselves the question, how do I let my light shine? Sometimes I'm just ashamed. Sometimes I just lack confidence. As we talk about some of these specific issues over the next few weeks, my hope is that we help you to gain some confidence about what you know and what you believe and what you do when culture says certain things. Sometimes we don't shine our light just because we're apathetic. We either don't think about it or we don't care. But the truth is a hidden light does no good. Let me show you one other thing. A hidden light does not last. Did you see what happened there? The light went out. Because when you hide your light, it doesn't burn anymore. That bowl would put that light out. And oftentimes, if I spend too much time stopping being the light of the world, it's hard for me to ever be again the light of the world. Chad, what's that look like? Like, like give me a practical example. How am I supposed to be the light of the world? The Gospel of John, or excuse me, the Epistle of, of 1 John chapter 2 helps us with this. Look at verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. We will all get in situations where it's difficult to show respect or care or concern for another. But John tells us, God's word says, that if we are in the light, then that shows up in even the very basic relationships in our lives. First question, are you hiding your light? Which leads us maybe to a second question. Are you shining your light? Like you might say, well, I'm not hiding it, but are you shining it? Look, this analogy of light shows up over and over again in Scripture. Here's some examples. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. My question is, are you shining your light? See, shining your light leads to good works. Not good works that you do to show off. Not good works that you do to make people think you're holy or righteous. Jesus calls that out in this same sermon. He says, hypocrites, don't do your acts before other people so they'll think you're righteous and holy. What the Bible says is, is that if I am a follower of Jesus, if he has changed my life, then my light will shine and people will naturally see the good works. Let, let me give you an example Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Can I get an amen? Some of you, that might be a good one to hang up in your house somewhere. Not for you, for the other people in your house. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that things won't be so tense in your home. Is that what it says? <laughs> yes, but no. It says so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You think we live in a warped and crooked generation? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Chad, how am I gonna make a difference in my workplace? 
Chad, how can, how can little old me shine a light that anybody will see? Paul says, you want a starter? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. <laughs> he says, actually, why don't you start with your attitude? Because that's where your light is first seen. It's not by the great deeds that you do. It's by the way that you live every day. See, shining your light leads to good work because shining your light glorifies God. Ultimately, the reason I shine my light is not to point it on myself. I live my life in a way that's different from the culture, even if that means that the culture doesn't understand me, even if it means that maybe I experience some pushback. Do you know what Jesus talked about in verse 11 and 12 before he got to the salt of the earth and the light of the world? He talked all about persecution. He said, look, you will be misunderstood. People won't always get why you live the way that you do. You may get pushed back from the world and people may revolt against the things that you say, but understand this, you are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And you live your life in such a way that it glorifies God and shows people who Jesus is. Ultimately, the question that I think I have to ask myself, are we influencing the world or being influenced by the world? Am I able to be salt and light in the world in which I live? Or have I let the world in which I live cause me to lose my saltiness and hide my light? I need to make sure that my good talk is followed up with a good walk. And I know we say that a lot, but have you ever known somebody whose walk did not match their talk? Anybody? Has it ever been you? I know it's been me. There's been times when I've had to say to myself or I've felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, Gilligan, you might want to start walking what you're talking because you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Before we wrap up, let me take you back real quick to verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Look at what he says here. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Theologians debate maybe exactly what Jesus meant when he said we lose our saltiness. We looked at one example, right, that, that, that sometimes they say it's because of the impurities, the mixture that happens in the Dead Sea between the salt and the gypsum. But there's another interesting historical fact Several decades after Jesus, there was a Jewish rabbi who quoted something that seemed to kind of be a proverb of that time. He says, can salt lose its saltiness? Isn't that sound just what Jesus said? He says the same thing. Somebody asked him a question. It was a trick question. He didn't want to give him a clear answer because it was a tricky question. And he said, can salt lose its saltiness? And then he follows it up by saying, can a mule bear young? Well, the answer to that is no. Mules are sterile. And so that mule is not able to bear young, which he then goes on to say, so salt can't lose its saltiness. That's scientifically true. It can be mixed with impurities, but salt itself, sodium chloride, it's stable. It's not going to lose its saltiness, except maybe if it wasn't salty to begin with. Maybe what Jesus is saying here is if you've lost your saltiness, maybe you need to think about whether you were ever salty to begin with, that maybe, maybe you never really fully said, Jesus, everything I have is yours. 
Maybe you don't seriously look at your life and say, God, I, I give my all to you. Lord, I trust you with everything that I have. I think it's interesting that he says that salt that's lost its saltiness is good for nothing and it gets thrown out and it gets trampled underfoot. If you read it in some Bible versions, it has this idea that it gets pressed down by the crowd. And realize that as followers of Jesus Christ, we were never supposed to be underfoot of the crowd. We were never supposed to be forced through by our culture. We were supposed to be salt and light that influences the world around us. And if your experience right now or has been that for the most part, you find yourself completely influenced and pushed aside by the culture, then maybe you need to ask, have I ever really been salty in the first place? Has my light ever really shown in the first place? Why is that so important? Revelation chapter three, verse 15. We'll give Jesus the last word. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's a terrifying passage of scripture, isn't it? I mean, here's, here's what it says. It says, look, there's, there's no in-between. Either you are or you're not. Either you're the salt of the earth or you're not. Either you're the light of the world or you're not. The question is, have you given it all to him? See, at some point, what it comes down to is not just cool analogies and not just helpful stories. At some point, it comes down to, have you said, not only Jesus are you my savior, but Jesus, you're my Lord. And I give you everything that I have. God, you can have it all. So in that relationship, help me to be the salt of the earth. And in that place where it's difficult for me to be, in those seasons where I feel like I'm in darkness, would you let your light shine through me? Not because I want to show off, but Jesus, just because your fruit's growing in my life. God, you can have it all. I give you every part of my world. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as we wrap up this service, we're going to do it with that song. It says, you can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. Take this heart. I give it all to you. And as we sing this, my simple encouragement to you is this. Are you the salt of the earth? Are you the light of the world? Father, as we sing these words, may it be more than just a song. God, may it be more than just a, a few moments of reflection. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? God, if there's things that need to change, if there's impurities that need cleaned out, if there's places where, for whatever reason, I'm hiding my light, God, would you help me? You can have it all, Lord. I give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song together.
Lord, we say, God, you can have it all. Lord, and I, I pray for the one today. By your Holy Spirit, you've been speaking. And you've helped us to see that maybe there's places where we've not so much been the salt of the earth, where we failed to be the light of the world. Father, may these words of Jesus from thousands of years ago so impact our lives that they will not be easily forgotten. But Lord, that you would help us as we go through the days of this week to choose to give it all to you, Lord, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Father, maybe there's even one who is in this room or auditorium too or who's watching this on a screen somewhere and is saying today that today's the day that they can't do it by themselves anymore. But they're asking you in this moment for your forgiveness. They're asking you to be the one that gives direction and purpose, the, the Lord of their lives. Lord, the, the simple cry of their heart right now is, God, I give my life, Jesus, to you. Lord, in this moment, you can have it all, Lord. May these words impact our lives so that there could be life brought to a world of brokenness and light brought to a world in darkness. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that as we go from here, you would send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.